welcome to Bangor Community Church Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed today as you hear the Word of God. We had a tremendous time in Kingdom Harvest this morning. Uh, another packed word. Clem speaks fast and we can keep up. But I would encourage you, church, take notes. Get your phone out if you have no paper and take notes so that you can apply this word to your life and you can make it work in your life tonight. So without any more, come on, Clem, friend of this house, we're looking forward to the word. Thank you. I got this, Karen. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Glad you're here. We got through all the formal introductions last night, so we're just going to plow into the word tonight. Does that sound good? Um, Yeah. Good stuff. And so tonight I want to share some things out of a book I wrote last summer, because when you don't travel, what do you do? Well, you write books and do stuff like that. So actually, it's kind of funny. I'd gotten prophetic words probably for, I don't know, maybe three, almost four years about writing. And it's kind of like, I like to give prophetic words, but I sometimes don't like to receive them. You know what I mean? It's like, I have to obey too. So um, boy, it was just God just spoke so clearly when I got locked down and couldn't travel. It's like, write the book. I was like, okay. So I that's what I did. It's called Stewarding Prophecy. And uh, I only have one copy with me, but you can get it on Amazon. And uh, it's, uh, it's just a, little, a short, like a field manual on how, what do we do? How do we steward a word from God? And I'm going to share some of those principles tonight with you. So actually, I'm going to cheat for you. You don't have to take a lot of notes if you get the book. But you can take notes anyway, because there's notes you'll write that aren't even in the book. So anyway, this is, I had one copy left. I'm going to give it to Brian and Karen. So um, yeah, I just I threw a couple in my case. When you're traveling for five weeks, I'm on a five-week journey. You just can't lug around a bunch of books. But then um, it's really, I've written it out of uh, decades of delivering prophetic words. But then it's like, I want to see the saints fulfill prophecy. What does it take to fulfill prophecy? So we're going to talk about that tonight for some of you that have had prophecies. Maybe they're still suspended in the air. Like when are they going to land? And maybe you're waging warfare because that's really what comes with it. You might be sitting here tonight, hurry up and let's get to the prophecy. I need a prophecy tonight. Well, let me tell you something. Every time you get a prophecy, you get instant warfare. Somebody say amen because you know it's true. It's like a two-for-one special. You get warfare with a prophetic word, and we're going to talk about that tonight. But I want to start in the book of Revelation. Uh, we'll start there. Isn't that exciting when the preacher says, turn to the book of Revelation. We're going to go end times. No, I'm just going to introduce a concept out of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 3, John's getting ready to write this in the prologue of the book, which is a very, obviously the whole Bible is a prophetic book, but this particular revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 3, he said, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is at hand. Blessed are the ones that not only read aloud the words of this prophecy, hear the words, but those that keep it. And then he concludes the whole writing of the book of Revelation in chapter 22. Go to the very end, the very last page of your manuscript there. Chapter 22, verse 7. Now it's in red letters, quoting Jesus. And behold, he says, I'm coming soon. Hello. Hello, earth dwellers. He's coming soon. We won't be here much longer. Thank God. I am so tired of planet earth. Anyway. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one. Watch how he, he kind of crystallizes this whole writing of the revelation of Christ down to this one thing. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Keeping prophecy is very important to God. 
keeping prophecy, not just hearing prophecy. I need to hear a word. Yeah, but you need to keep it. But that really... So this word, if we look at this word, tereo is the word to keep. Let's talk about what that really means, to keep a word. Tereo has three basic connotations. One would be to watch over something so it won't be lost or stolen. So right away, we already have a connotation to this idea of keeping a word is the fact that it can be lost. It can be stolen. Why? We have a thief on the loose on planet Earth. God called, or yeah, Jesus called him the thief, our enemy, the devil. He's a thief. He wants to steal things from God's people. So the second connotation behind the word tereo would also mean to ward off an enemy. Again, warfare. And the, the classical Greek, they would use that sometimes for someone warding off a pack of wild animals that was attacking you. So it's violent. It's kind of like, it's an aggressive posture. And thirdly, it means to bring something to full completion. To keep something means I keep it to the point that it's complete. That's the whole idea behind this idea of keeping a word, a logos from God. When God gives you a word, we enter into a warfare. We enter into a battle to keep it and to steward it. So it's a word of stewardship. So this idea of um, the battle and all this comes out of Matthew chapter 13. The parable of the sower, Matthew was the the one that wrote the gospel that really expanded our thinking about Christ as king. He presented Christ as king. And in this chapter 13, he lays out eight different parables about the kingdom. But the first one is the foundation parable to all of them. It's called the parable of the sower. You know it. Sowing the seed, four different times of soil, represents the conditions of the human heart. And so he gathers the people together, the crowd together. Parable of the sower, great. And then the disciples go, um, could you please explain the parable you just <laughs> spoke? I don't know if you ever feel like that. I do sometimes. I read something about me and go, um, Lord, can you please explain what I just read? I didn't get it. And Jesus is very gracious, you know. So he now explains the parable of the sower to the disciples in verse 18. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. Verse 19, this is a very foundation of what he's trying to explain about how this, how this works, how the seed comes down, how it in human heart, the warfare behind it, all in this one explanation. And he says in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, stop right there, hearing a word of the kingdom, which means it doesn't come out of earth, doesn't come out of mortality, doesn't come out of a great imagination of a human. It's the word of the kingdom because it comes from the king. It originates where? In the mind and heart of our king, in another dimension. The word of the kingdom <laughs> comes from the king. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, there you go. That's my problem. Give me a break. I'm not a theologian. What do you expect? I didn't go to Bible school. I'm, I don't understand all these things. I can't understand this Bible stuff anyway. And I have good news for you. When he says and does not understand it, it has nothing to do with your reasoning. It has nothing to do with your cognitive ability, your intelligence level, your, your knowledge of theology. It's a really wonderful word in the, in the Greek to understand, understand. You understand? Okay, I'll explain it. It's the word sunamai, P-S-N-U-M-A-I for all you Greek scholars. Caleb's writing it down like that with PSNU. That's in the book. Get the book. Sunami is the idea behind this word understand translated is this. Sunami means to happen upon. To just happen upon something. So if two people were on the opposite sides of this room and they walked across and met right here in the middle, they would happen upon each other. That place where they happen upon each other is called sunami. 
Maybe they never met before. They don't know each other's name, but they happen upon each other. Sunami, two streams of water that would come from different water sources, but flow towards each other and then meet and form a new stream of water. That place of convergence would be Sunami. Something coming from two different sources, but happening upon each other. So when the word of the kingdom comes down out of heaven, what's the destination of the word? According to the character to the human heart, that's the destination. It's heading towards humanness, heading toward the human sector to land on a human heart and change their, and get planted in there. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, but doesn't allow Sunami, does not allow it to happen upon you. You don't have to understand it yet. I guarantee you probably won't understand it for a long time. You just got to allow it to happen upon you. If you don't, Jesus said, then comes the wicked one, the evil one. And what does he do? The Bible says he snatches away that which is sown in the heart. Wow, that's aggressive. That's not like he's just watching See, the enemy takes a very aggressive posture toward the preached word of God and the, the way that we preach and evangelize and speak the gospel and prophesy. And when the word of the Lord is coming out of heaven into planet earth to change human lives, the enemy's like, I got to stop this stuff. This is, this is dangerous to my kingdom. This is going to ruin me and I've got to do something. So he watches to see if we're going to allow a prophetic word to land upon us. And if there's soon am I. Because he says, if there isn't, then comes the wicked one, and he snatches away that which is sown in his heart. Another powerful Greek word called harpazo. Harpazo. Doesn't that sound cool coming off the lips? <laughs> Try it once. Harpazo. Ready? Harpazo. It just feels like I'm in warfare, and I don't even know it. Harpazo. I'm going to harpazo that word. And you think, well, the audacity of the devil. The audacity. How does he think he can harpazo my word? Where does he get that idea? Where he gets all his ideas? From God. Remember, he's a thief. Nothing original in him. He's, he's manufactured nothing, come up with nothing. He's not a creator. He's created. So where did he get the idea that he could harpazo something? Well, from the Bible. If you go back just a couple chapters, chapter 11, verse 12. Don't, it's not up there, but you know this one. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent ones take it by force. Same word, harpazo. Who are the violent ones? That's us, the kingdom of heaven. Harpazo, there's violence. And the violent ones, that's us. Harpazo, the kingdom. How do you harpazo the kingdom? How do you seize the kingdom by force in warfare? One word at a time. By our words. You got to understand, we are in a war of words. And if you're not on social media, stay off it. But if you are, you're in a war of words. You understand? We're, in a, we're in the most major war of words we've ever been in because of social media now. <laughs> it's like the war of words is going, it's all over the invisible internet right now. There's a war of words going on. They're going across from China to, I mean, if we could see the invisible spectrum right now, there's words flying everywhere. We're in a war of words. And so one kingdoms trying to harpazo the other kingdom's words. So that's the war. And Paul instructs Timothy on how to engage in this warfare successfully. So he writes to him in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Paul just switches topics here. He's been teaching on something else, and now he switches into this one short little teaching. It's three verses 
on how to wage warfare with prophecy. He says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies that were previously made about you, that by them you can wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So let's take this apart and understand what Paul's trying to teach Timothy. We can learn from this. He's teaching Timothy how to steward prophecy. So he starts out and he goes military. There's a lot of metaphors in this little package here. He says, this charge I entrust to you, my son, Timothy, this charge. So the word charge is paragoleon in the Greek, and it means given from a superior ranking officer to an inferior ranking officer. That's what that word paragoleon means. Does anybody serve in the military in here? You did? God bless you. Awesome. Hillary, you did... Can you imagine if she had a gun right now? It's like, oh. she's dangerous enough as it is, but. So in the military, how many, do you know somebody, how many know somebody that served in the military? That's better. How many ever heard the word military before? Now we're getting, how many never raise your hand in church still? You're never there yet. Okay, we'll get you there. It's charismatic church. Okay, so in the military, the way, and I didn't serve, but I understand my father was in the military. The way I understand it, when a superior ranking officer gives an inferior ranking officer a command, a paragoleon, what are the options? Come on, Mil- what are the options? Help us out here. What are all the options? Yes, yes, sir. That would be a good one. Let's start with that. Yes, sir. Okay, but there's got to be more options. We've got to have options. Okay. Maybe they don't have options in the natural military, but I've got good news for you. Listen, we're in the army of the Lord, right? And I've got good news for you, army of the Lord. We have created options. When God gives commands, we've got some beauties. And they're so spiritual that nobody even pays attention. And so I'll help you out with your options tonight. Because he's like, I don't want to just say yes, sir, all the time. To the Lord, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. So here's a nice, here's option number one. I'll pray about it, sir. Always add sir, because it sounds respectful. Or I'll pray about it. Wouldn't that work in the military? Would that work? Did you ever try that with your commanding officer? Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, well, sir, I will pray about that, and I'll get back to you next week. I'll go on a prayer retreat this week and seek the Lord about that. Or you might, here's a good, this one really works well. Um, yes, sir. Thank you for that command. Um, you know, it's not feeling it. Not feeling a witness there. I don't get the witness. I don't have a witness about cleaning the latrine this week, sir. So I'll get back to you on that. Give me some other command that I might have a witness to. It's all about. You know, we've created options. Parents. How's that work at home? Son, I want you to clean your room. I want it clean by the time I get home from work. Okay, yes, sir, Dad. Thanks, Dad. Dad just gave me a word. Did he give you a word? He didn't get that word? (laughs) I think he loves me more than you. Thank you, Dad, for that word. You must love me. Just make sure your room's clean when I go, thank you, Dad, I love you. Oh, he loves me. He spoke to me. He called me out amongst the crowd of children in our house and gave me a personal word. I am so blessed. Oh, my word. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to go to my room and pray and worship him. I'm just going to go, I'm going to, go to my stinky, smelly, reckless bedroom and just worship my father and thank him. I'm going to study. I'm going to study that word out in the Greek. I'm going to do a little Bible study. I might invite some of my friends over, have a Bible study. That's what I'm going to do. 
And then when dad gets home from work, he says, well, son, did you clean your room? Dad, I've had the best day ever. Ever since that word came, I just went to my room and I worshiped you. I just was like, Dad, you're the awesome man. I invited my friends over. We had a prayer meeting. We prayed about bedrooms and how significant they are to the home. And we just, we looked up bedrooms in the Greek. Did you know in the Greek, Dad, what the Greek word is for bedroom? He goes, son, what? Did you clean your room? Ah, not yet, but I'm going to. But I'm just like basking in the moment here. How's that work, parents? All the parents are going, you're an idiot. And I said, no, but yeah, it's stupid to think like, but that's how we treat God sometimes. This charge, Paul says, this charge I am entrusting to you. It's a sacred entrustment. And Paul didn't say because I'm an apostle or because I'm your spiritual father. He said, according with the prophecy that was spoken about you. That's how Paul was treating prophecy and trying to convince Timothy, this is how you need to treat a prophecy. And it's not because it's just belligerent, put in authoritative, you know, do what I say. It's not that kind of regime he's trying to put in. He's saying that. That's a purpose clause in the Greek. That, for this purpose, that by them, those prophetic words, you can wage good warfare. Good warfare. There's two kinds of warfare. There's good warfare and there's, you say, no warfare. No, sorry. There's good warfare and bad warfare. I've had bad warfare. You're saying, can we please have option three? Can we have no warfare? Sorry. I told you, prophecy always comes with guaranteed warfare. And you can have good warfare or you can have bad warfare. And Paul said, I want you to have good warfare. Now, when he says that you can wage good warfare, that both the word wage or war and warfare come from the same root word in the Greek word. So this idea of waging warfare or warring warfare means, first of all, to serve in a military campaign. Hey, I told you, we were in the army of the Lord. That's part of his see yourself serving in a military campaign. It means to execute the apostolate, the very advancing of the kingdom, the going forth, the sending forth, advancing that. And it also means to contend with carnal inclinations. Ooh, that's why it's a war. And guess who you're at war with? You. Your first level of warfare is saying, am I going to do this? It's the battle of your will. It's the battle of your carnal inclinations. I'm not inclined. I'll get back to you. I don't bear witness. Good luck with that. To wage good warfare. It also means to put a plan into place to invade. We're called to invade the kingdom of darkness. You know, every time you get a prophetic word, it's a plan. It's a plan. There's a plan in your prophetic word to invade the kingdom of darkness. And when I say a plan, it's interesting, this also word for to wage good warfare, the word warfare is strateia, close to the word for wage, and it's where we get the English word strategy. Hmm. You see, embedded in every prophetic word, there's a strategy. God doesn't leave you dangling out there and say, here's your prophetic word. You go, I don't understand. What do I do? And he goes, seek me. I'll give you the code. I'll decode it for you. And in that prophecy is a strategy to invade the enemy. There's a strategy for success. There's a strategy to have good warfare. 
So, this charge I'm giving you, Timothy, according to the prophecies spoken before about you, that by them you can wage good warfare. How? Comma, verse 19. How do you wage good warfare with the prophecy? Well, number one, he says, holding something. Faith. Holding faith. I like to say it this way. Holding it in faith. There's kind of an intended intention there of like holding what? Holding these words. You, you, get to, you have to hold words. Otherwise, you leak. They leak out of you. You hold those words in faith. You go, well, um, how do I do that? Good question. Where is the chamber of your faith right now? Where does it reside? It's your heart, right? That's why the parable of the sower is so foundational. It deals with the very inner man, and that is the chamber of where your faith resides. And so when he says holding faith, you hold it in the chamber of your faith, which is your heart. How do you hold it? You hold it. You hide, that's why I say, I have hidden your word in my heart. The whole idea of holding faith is holding onto the words. Holding faith in the chamber of your heart. And then you'll know if you've still got them by using the organ of your faith, which is your mouth. There's a spirit, the chamber of faith gets full of the word of God, and you connect it to the organ of your faith, which is your mouth. There's a spiritual transaction, something happens. That's why confession is so important, right? That's how you got saved. The word of God, the gospel came to your heart, not your head. Some of you got saved and go, what did I just do? How did that happen? I don't, I, I don't understand. No, you don't understand. It's not a human mind transaction. It's a spiritual transaction. You believed in your heart, and then you confessed with your mouth, and the very chamber of your faith got into uh, cahoots there with your organ of faith, and they connected together, and there was a spiritual transaction, and there was born-again believer. Same thing works here. He says, holding that in faith... Now, the enemy is going to try you to, to do anything he can to get you to negate the very words that God gives you. He's done that from the beginning. Did God actually say? Did he really say? He started in the garden. He did it with Jesus. If you're the son of God. It's, he's never changed his tactics. Sadly, they work. He gets people to doubt and say, yeah, maybe not. Well, that's not going to happen here. Well, that'll never happen. And suddenly, you'll know. You'll know how people are, are fighting the good fight of faith by what's coming out of their mouth. Hi, how you doing? That was a great word you got last week. How's it going? Ah, oh, nothing's. I don't half of it. I don't even understand. I don't believe half of it. I bear witness to it. It wasn't on my list. And I, 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 I. Well, you can tell right away. There's no, there's no spiritual. Tra- there's no holding on to that in faith. Like you know what? I'm holding on to that in faith. Holding faith. You got that's keeping it active. Keeping it active. Um, there's a phrase that has crept into some thinking and some actually some counsel when it comes to prophecy. I've heard some leaders use it, pastors use it. I just have to kind of debunk it for you because there's been kind of this strange idea that here's what I, when you get a prophecy, what should I do? You say, well, you know, first just put it on a shelf. I know nobody in here has ever heard that or said that, but they say it in American, it drives me nuts. What do I do with past? Just put it on a shelf. If God wants it to come to pass, it'll come to pass. Just go about your life. 
God will send you a text or something. Hey, what? Your prophecy is about to come to pass. Okay, thanks. It doesn't work that way. You have to engage with these words that come. That's why you got to hold it in faith because at the moment it comes, <laughs> it's, it's not a transaction yet. You hold it in faith, and now here's the other part, and a good conscience. Hmm, how does that work into the faith and everything? We're going deep tonight. Is that okay? We're, we're talking about what's going on inside your ticker right now, your spiritual ticker. This is what's going on inside of you right now. Even from whatever sermon you heard today, whatever teachings you've heard in the past, whatever doctrine is running in you, all those things are running inside that chamber of faith right now. And he says you've got to hold it in faith and a good conscience. Let me explain conscience for just a minute. We're a tripart being, spirit, soul, and body. Three-part being, God's three parts. God loves threes. In that, you have mind will and emotion is part of your soul. Spirit, soul. Soul has three basic parts. The mind, the will, the emotion. The mind, the cognitive ability, the will, volition, and emotion. Your spirit also has three basic functions. Basic, not limited to three basic functions. One would be fellowship. Your, your ability to fellowship with God comes from your spirit, right? It's a function of the spirit first. Your ability to really have true fellowship with another believer comes from your spirit. I can meet a total stranger who's a Christian and have instant fellowship because we fellowship because of our connection to the Spirit of God. So you have the fellowship function. Then you have also the intuition. That's another function of your spirit. Intuition is simply when you know, when you don't know. How'd you know? I don't know. I just know. Explain that to me. I don't know, but I know. That's like, what? You're talking Chinese or what? It's where we have intuition. That's what happens when you, how'd you know? Knowledge. By the Spirit of God. It comes through your spirit. I see this. How'd you know? I don't know. I just know. Because it came through my spirit. Now, we all know women have an extra large. They come in extra large. Men, we're kind of medium. Sometimes small. You didn't even catch that? No, sorry. <laughs> Honey, how did you know? Kids, you better be glad mom has an extra large intuition. Saved your bacon more than once, right? Mom, how did you? I just know. God told me. Oh. My older son's like, Mom, how did you know? <laughs> it's like, okay, they finally gave up. She always knows. So we know and we don't know. Then uh, that's where the gifts of the Spirit flow. They flow from the intuitive part of your spirit. All the gifts of the Spirit flow out of there. But then there's this conscience. Conscience is the third function of your spirit. Ah, but it's connected to the soul. I'll explain what I mean. Conscience, the word conscience simply means co-science. The place of two knowledges. A co-science is two, two knowledges. In your conscience, you have the knowledge of what's going on in your spirit and at the same time what's going on in your soul. And that's, why, that's how renewal of the mind takes place in Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mind, will, emotions is soul. But how does it get renewed? With the conscience, which is hearing from the Spirit of God when you read the Word of God. It's the Christian mind that has to be renewed. Okay, I explained that. So, co-science, place of two knowledges. So, I look at the conscience as almost like a swinging door inside of you. And it swings back and forth, information in, information out. It takes information in from the soul. I'm reading my Bible. It's going in my eyes, then into my brain and into my mind, and then I'm processing it, and then it swings in, and it has transference, spirit and soul, spirit and soul. That's why Hebrews 4 says, 
The Word of God is quick and alive and sharp and powerful, more powerful than a two-edged sword, piercing even through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The only thing that can actually pierce between soul and spirit is the Word of God. So, let me say this, of a, is my conscience then? Your conscience is that place of agreement between your concepts and your conduct. Inside of you, your conscience will tell you, are you in agreement with your concepts? What you just did, did that agree with your concepts? Or when there's a violation of your concepts and your actions, your conscience will talk to you. Come on, ever had your conscience bother you? That's a good thing. Why does your conscience bother you? Because you see, we live life building concepts into us all of our life. You're training children, what are you doing? You're building concepts, healthy concepts. <laughs> this is what you need to do. This is, don't do this, do this, don't do this. You're constantly putting concepts into them. And then when they violate their concepts by their conduct, their conscience should kick in. That's why they run and hide when they do something wrong <laughs> or they lie. Hello? Don't look at me that way. You know you've done that. You've told a fib, haven't you? She's looking at me like, are you looking at me? I'm looking right at you. Because I have too. I did. I used to lie and run and hide. <laughs> it's, that's Grandpa Adam in us. That's, that's all it is. They ran and hid. Where are you? You can't find us. Yes, I can. God wasn't playing hide and seek. He knew where they were all the time. But it's like, you know what? Our conscience bothers us when we violate our concepts. My concept is... Never two pieces of dessert, Jonathan. One piece of dessert, that's all I allow myself. And you're in the middle of your second piece of dessert, and this voice starts talking to you. What are you doing? What, what are you doing? I want, I'm having... Suddenly your conscience starts talking to you because you violated a concept by your conduct. Does this make sense to you? So when Paul's... Let's put this back in here. Paul says, look it. I want you to wage good warfare with these prophecies. You've got to hold them in faith and a good conscience. In other words, allow your conscience to have a good voice as you conduct yourself. Because when a prophecy comes to you, God's goal in speaking to us anyway is to change. That's not steps. Why do we want a word from God? You say, I just want to feel better. That's not right motive. <laughs> I'm having a bad week. I t one time I went to church and the pastor goes, see that couple way in the back there in the corner? Yeah. You think I could get them tonight? We want me to get them. We want to get, when we get them take out, what? Get them what? Get them, you know, get them. Oh, you mean prophesy over them? Yeah, pro pro can you prophesy over them? I said, okay, what's the strategy here? I'm more into strategy than anything else. I said, what's the strategy? What's going on? He goes, oh, they just had a really bad week. That was the pastor's strategy for who was going to get a prophetic word to build their life and build the church and then create warfare for them. Wasn't that nice of him? They had a bad week. Let's make it worse. holding faith and a good conscience. Paul's not done. He goes, now, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. The word shipwreck is not ugeo. That's where we get the word for navigate. It throws off your navigation system. We are to navigate by the Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit. God, give me a word. And then we, just throw, we reject His word. And then we, we shipwreck. And we wonder why. I say, oh, that prophecy. Nothing ever goes my way. And I don't believe it anymore anyway. It's like shipwreck after shipwreck. Our faith gets shipwrecked. 
And then we say, I know what I need. What? Another prophecy. Oh my gosh, that's the worst thing you need right now. Some people will think another prophecy is the answer to their unfulfilled prophecy. That's what I need. I need more prophecy. It's like, no, you need to get back in the war. Stop shipwrecking your, your faith and go back and find out what it was that God told you to do. It could be one simple instruction that will start turning your ship and you'll have good warfare. But I want to tell you something, brother, you're still going to have your warfare, so get back in the fight. Do it God's way, right? And I used to stop there. But there's a comma. Darn it. Faith. And it's like, there's a comma. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. And it's like Paul says, oh, and I have, I have a testimony to share, Timothy. Timothy, let me tell you how some rejected this and they shipwrecked their faith. Remember those two guys in our class on prophecy? Yeah. What were their names? Uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Yeah. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Watch what Paul said. Who I have handed over to Satan. That they may learn something. That they may learn not to blasphemy. Here's Paul teaching his disciples, Timothy's in the class, Hymenaeus, Alexander. He's teaching about all this. And they're just kind of like, nah, no, they're cutting up in the back. You know, maybe they're the class clowns. I don't know. They're just, they've rejected this. It's not working. And Paul goes, okay, you won't learn from me. God's got a big faculty. I mean, God has a big faculty. God has lots of teachers and professors for your life instruction. And so he said, oh, you won't learn from me? Then we'll just change professors on you. We have a visiting professor this week, Professor Lucifer, and he has his Ph.D. in blasphemy, and he's going to teach you how not to do it. How's that, Jaime and Allie? You guys are now, now we dropped that class. We now enrolled you in a new class. You are now in the how not to blasphemy class, <laughs> taught by Professor Satan himself. I've turned you over to Satan that you may learn not. To blasphemy. Blasphemy is simply rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. It's rejecting the whole, what the Holy Spirit's trying to do for you, which is to make you Christ-like. That's the purpose of prophecy, by the way. One goal, to make you more Christ-like. Why does God want to talk to you? To impart concepts to you. Why do your parents talk to you? To teach you, impart concepts, help you have a successful life. And that's all he's getting back to here. So, you have to understand that the prophetic always ends up a process. Everything is process. We talked about that, I think, last night. We talked about it. You're always in a process. And so if you don't engage in the process, you never arrive at the destination God has for you. And that's why if you unplug, if you put your prophecy on a shelf, if you fold your arms and say, well, that hasn't happened yet, and suddenly you're in these battles and you don't even know it, suddenly what's happening, you've disengaged from the very process God designed to make you more Christ-like. Secondly, the prophetic isn't just the delivery of a singular word. We say, oh, were you here last night? Yeah, oh, it's very prophetic. Why? That guy, he gave prophecies. It was really prophetic when he gave the prophecies. You know what? Prophecy is not just the delivery of a singular word over somebody's life. It is a process that God thrusts you into and causes you to begin a journey of inquiry that takes you right back to God. That, the prophetic doesn't stop when the meeting's over. In fact, it just begins. You walk out the door and say, well, that was a great prophetic meeting. And it's not a great prophetic meeting until you realize I'm now in a new process with God. 
The meeting doesn't stop when the lights go off and you exit the building. The prophetic process has just begun. And you have to engage with that. The danger is to hear a word from God and then think you have to fulfill it in your own strength. That's why you get frustrated sometimes about fulfilling. It's like, well, I got to do this now. It's like, no, you got to go back to God and find out what the code is. God, help me decode this message. What do I do? That journey of inquiry is loaded with questions. What do I do now? What do I do next? What do I get? What do I get rid of? (laughs) Come on. God starts messing with your structures inside. It begins maybe as future insight, but it has to eventualize itself in some kind of new action in your life. That's the goal. Change your concepts. You'll get changed concepts about who God is. Sometimes God will speak to you in the prophecy and you go, I never knew God thought that way about me. It change your concepts about who you think you are. When God says something over you, you go, I don't see myself that way. And you get all negative going, oh, last night God, yeah, I, I don't lie. I, I, and, and God's here trying to pump you up. You know, see, like I said last night, God sees the end. God sees the end of your photo reel. I remember one time, not too long ago, I was walking down my office in my basement. I was walking down my office and I, and I, some, I, I, did, I did something or forgot something. And I just, in my inside, I just said something so silly. I just said, oh, I said, oh you're such an idiot. Boy. Holy Spirit just went, and it was the Holy Spirit because it was like a totally different voice and a different mood. He goes, I don't say that about you. Because that wasn't me. I just got done calling myself an idiot. I wouldn't turn around and go, ha ha, and I don't say that stuff about me because I just said that about me. And this voice came and said, I don't say that about you. Wow. Changed my, it just changed something to me. Have I said it since then? Yes, but I caught myself right in the middle. (laughs) Like, oh, you're such a... Sorry, God, you don't say that about me. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. But see, the enemy would love to remind you, like we talked about last night, continually remind you about your past. So you start out and say, God, I need to know some things about the future. And he starts telling you, and then he goes to work on you. And like we said last night, the battles rage, but the battles are not the battles around you. They're the battles within you. Which leads me to this. We'll close with this. And I'm just going to give them quick, but you can get them in the book and everything else. Karen can photocopy her book. She's nice to you. Order, order a whole box of them. Um, five battlefields, five major, not the only, five battlefields of the prophetic. I'll just go quickly for you. One right away, of course, is the, uh, the battlefield of delay. That's a big one in the prophetic. Uh, the, these are the battles where the enemy tries to come in and snatch away that which is sown in your heart. And the first one he goes after is time. God, it's been a week. That prophecy hasn't come to pass yet about me being a multimillionaire and a... <laughs> it's been two weeks. Pastor, what? I need another prophecy. Why? It's been three weeks. The battlefield of delay. And we talked about Abraham last night, but think of the... I mean, Abraham had these great prophecies and then we saw what happened. He was, he was on the battlefield of delay in our divine night. He wanted to give up. And, you know, what you have to say, every day of delay is a, div- a day of divine preparation. God's preparing, just like he was preparing Abraham for the astounding moment of faith impartation and becoming the father of faith. So that's what forged, the delay actually is what forged the opportunity for God to give faith to Abraham. So you have to just plow through there. We got a prophecy, 1984. Yeah, it was last century. I'm old. Okay, so 1984. And it was right, it's just a few years after we got filled with the Holy Spirit, a couple years after we got married. Uh, Dr. Bill Hammond, he's an old sage, father of the prophetic movement, still living up in his 80s. And he prophesied over my wife and I a number of things. But one of the things he said, he says, I see the Lord opening up a big, beautiful home for you. 
And it's, it's for his glory. And others are going to say, how did you get such a big, beautiful home? And all this. And, you know, when you're newlyweds and, you know, we're, <laughs> I have to let, you know, I was in the hotel business and then I, I took a lucrative 90% pay cut and went in the ministry. And so when we did that, we had nothing, literally nothing. And we lived in the basement of one of the elders of the church for a while because we had literally nothing. And so a little bit later, we're still living off nothing. <laughs> we're living in this little one-bedroom apartment, and we get this prophecy, God's going to open up a big, beautiful home. And, you know, we're, we're, we're a little word of faithy movement at that time. It's like, yeah, woohoo! we're going to just suddenly have this castle. And like, you know, great word, 1984. We bought our first home in 1996. Twelve years of preparation. We moved and moved and rented and moved and rented and moved and rent. we had no money. It was like, this is, like, this is never going to happen. And then we planted the church, like I told you about, and we went to the city and planted a church, and we, we asked God for a large home just to rent so we could have at least 30, 40 people in our living room and start our church. And God opened up this amazing home to rent, which was way beyond anything we could ever purchase. But it's like, this is a good start. And we immediately we started looking for another house. That's how our mentality, we were, I mean, we were on the borderline of unbelief, but, but God was doing something. And interestingly, every time we re-rented another house, we paid a little more. God was using years to stretch us and prepare us. So anyway, we, this is a, I'll make this a quick story, but we got into this home to rent, and we rented it for four years. And they kept showing the house constantly, to sell it. It was up for rent, but the, the owner was trying to sell it, and he kept dropping the price. And every time he dropped the price, he'd call and say, I just dropped the price. Price, you have to be out in a month. You have to have 30 days to get out. Okay, and then we start, okay, and then we got to go house hunting again, and we're homeschooling, and I'm working on my doctorate, and I'm traveling, and we're planting a church, and like, I never slept. Anyway, so this is all going on, and uh, another phone call. I dropped the price again, and then it would fall through. I just want you to know, I dropped the price again. Finally, it's like, I dropped, this is going, it's going to sell. You have two weeks to be out. And I just left to go to England. And a knock on the door. I literally had just gotten into England. And some, the banker that had the mortgage on the house came to the door and said, uh, yes, ma'am, uh, we just want you to know we're foreclosing on this house. You have two weeks to be out. She said, my husband's just left. He's going to be gone for two weeks. They said, okay, we'll give you 30 days. You got to be out of this house. We're like, ugh. So my wife calls me. Long story short, we just said, how much is it? Well, just so you know, I'll just give you the number. When we moved into the house, it was almost $300,000 American. It was now foreclosing for $150,000. The guy just kept dropping the price, dropping the price. He kept saying, it's going to sell, it's going to sell, it has to sell, it's going to sell. Then he went, he went bust, and he, it went into foreclosure. And the bank said, well, you've lived here for the last four years. We'll give you first opportunity. Nothing except a prophecy that was now 12 years old, and we didn't take it off the shelf because every time we moved, we said, God, we're believing you. You said, you're going to open up a big, beautiful home for ministry. So long story short, and I can tell you the miracles behind that, but we had miracle after miracle, and it came down to this one thing. When we were renting a dinky little place way back 12 years before, we had favor with the landlord, the guy that owned it. Then we moved away, and we came back to Fort Myers, planted the church, and then my wife said, why are you houses? I go, why would I call him? She says, well, we used to rent from him. Yeah. She said, well, he, he owns houses. He, he might give you some wisdom. You know, pride is a terrible thing for a guy, especially when your wife is right. Okay, I'll call him. Huh? Hi, Jeff, remember me? 
yeah, I remember you. How you doing? Well, good. Well, what do you need? I'm like, I just need some wisdom. Duh. I need money, but <laughs> I just need some wisdom. And I explained the scenario. He goes, so you just need a mortgage, right? And I'd been to four banks, two credit unions. And they all laughed. I walked in and said, we want to buy this. And they looked, they said, this is what you make? I go, yeah. And they all just said, get out. No, <laughs> Really, they laughed. They go, there's no way. Jeff, I just need some wisdom. We have this opportunity to buy this house and everything. He, he knew the area. He goes, oh, that's a great deal. So what do you need? I said, well, I, I need a mortgage. He goes, oh, I do mortgages. You want a mortgage? I go, yeah. He goes, I'll have my secretary draw it up. I'll mail it over to you, and you can sign it, and then you'll have it by the end of the week. What? Do I need, do you want me to, no, that's, I'll, I'll take care of it. Just sign the papers. I, had, I hadn't seen the guy in years. Still never saw him. I never saw the guy. I just got the check. I just got the that's what God did like that. See, a good name is better to be had than riches. It just went off of our name. We just took care of his dinky little house where we rented it for two years. I mowed the lawn and took care of it and just did. So I'm just saying all that. It's like the battlefield of delay is real. But as long as you hold faith in a good conscience. See, God was preparing us the whole time, stretching us, stretching us, stretching us. I just want to say this. Over the years, God has allowed me to prophesy houses for people not a lot, but every now and then, and I can give you, I can give you a stack of testimonies, and it's all, you know why? Because God built faith in me to prophesy it. I know I can prophesy, if God, if God tells me, I don't just do it willy-nilly, like, who, who needs a house tonight? We're going to prophesy. No, it's not like that. It's like, when God puts it on me, I have the faith to say, God's going to provide a larger house. I see a larger house for you. And they're as stunned as I am. They're going, <gasps> but yet God, because I, I have the, God built faith in me. For that. So that's quick. I'll great to get up real quick. There's the battlefield of delay. There's the battlefield of no recognition. It's great to get a prophecy where you feel recognized finally. You're going to do this. You're going to be a leader in the house of the Lord. You're going to be a leader. I see leadership in you, and you're going, ha, ha, yeah, finally they see leadership. And then you come into the office the next day. Pastor Karen, yeah, did you hear my prophecy last night? I'm going to be a leader. So when do I start? Do I get a card? You got a spare office here? Do I get a cell phone? Um, you can put my name right there. Um, we have leadership development classes starting uh, next Tuesday night. So why don't you come to the leadership development classes, and then we'll, we'll see how that goes. Tuesday night? What time? 7.30. Sorry, it's my bowling night. I can't. I'll just, I'll just start leading. I don't need to go to the class. You know, it's like the battle of no recognition. It's like they're not recognized. And then the devil goes, see, they'll never make you a leader here. If you go to that church down there, ah, take your prophecy. It's like, here's my credentials. I got a prophecy that said I'm going to be a leader. So here we are, ready-made leader. <laughs> it's like the battle of no recognition. Anyway, we have to fight through that. Why? Because in that delay of nobody recognizing what a great person I am, God is purifying your motives. We talked about motive last night, remember? See, God likes to drill down and find out what's not going to make you a good leader. Then <laughs> he purifies you. And then there's the bad fear of misunderstanding, a true misunderstanding where I just don't know when Isaiah 55 is very clear. Isaiah said, you need to first start the fact that my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways as high as the heavens above the earth. So first of all, God's thoughts are way above ours and we have to find how we reduce the gap in understanding. And here's the problem. It's your word. God spoke to you. Where are you going to get your understanding from? The one who gave the word. God did. You don't go to me. You don't go to the prophet. You don't, I don't know how many people have walked, caught me before I leave a building after a meeting and say, excuse me, yes, um, 
I have a question about that word you gave me. I said, first of all, who, did I prophesy over you? Oh, I don't even remember that. It's been 15 minutes. And, I, and they want to know all these details. And I'm like, I don't have no idea what I even said, let alone explain it. It's, I'm just the delivery boy. I just deliver it and leave. You need to go to God first. It's your word. And then counsel with your pastors and leaders. Get counsel. But don't counsel everybody and don't put it out on social media and don't go to, you know, you know, decipheryourprophecy.com and uh, it's not, it's not, it's between you and God. If you don't understand, go to God, right? And then there's the battlefield of doubt, which usually is surrounding all of this because the enemy just wants you to doubt, which is the opposite of faith. Battlefield of doubt, you know, Hebrews 4 and uh, verse 2, it says the word preached did not benefit them because they didn't mix it with faith. You have to mix this with faith. You've got to get it in that inner chamber. And then there's the battle of the prophetic crisis. We haven't got time to explain all that, but I'll just give you the highlights of the battle of the prophetic crisis. God creates a God-given crisis. And the word crisis simply means a place of decision. Crisis care in the medical world is where you have to come up with, we have to make a decision here. Do we operate or don't we operate? So crisis isn't a bad word. It means it's a place where you have to make a very important decision. So God puts you into a prophetic crisis, okay? And the six does that is um, in Psalm 18, verse 30, and Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, those two say the similar thing. It says, as for God's word, it is pure. That sounds, well, that's, of course it is. It's the Bible. It's pure. Well, in the Hebrew, it actually means it's purified. It has the power to purify. And the picture in the Hebrew of that purification process was that of taking raw ore out of the ground and putting it into a smelting furnace, turning up the heat, and having a good old-fashioned meltdown. <laughs> and so when you get a word from God, guess what? That word goes in you, and God turns up the heat. <laughs> says, gotcha, Ferris, you're in the fire now. And suddenly you have a meltdown. You know, you get a prophecy and go, woohoo, did you hear my prophecy? Yeah, get ready, you're going to have a meltdown. Because God then begins to turn up the heat. What is he after? He's after the impurities. See, when you're purifying ore, you turn the heat up and all the impurities rise to the surface, right? Then they scrape it off. Then they do it again. And it's like stuff you thought was long gone in your life. And then one day, and these ugly things come out. You go, oh, I can't believe I said that. It goes, oh, it's been down there a long time. I'm just bringing it up to the surface and we're going to scrape it off and purify. Those crises are good. And the best commentary on that is good old Joseph, you know. Joseph had an amazing encounter, Psalm 105, verse 19, where it says, the word of the Lord tested him. Joseph was in crisis. He was put in prison, innocent. But he had this great prophecy. Woo-hoo! Dream prophecy of every teenager. Your brothers and sisters will worship you someday. I know that's your dream prophecy. Would you like that tonight? Someday they'll worship you, yeah. And your parents. That's what, what, come on, kids. That's Joseph. What a prophecy, man. That's what I want. I want my family to bow down and worship me for crying out loud. Well, there was a long process that he went through before that ever happened. And it was a major crisis in his life. But it says the word of the Lord tested him and got him in a place for evil. God meant have filled that prophecy. You know that. And that's when he had that major moment with his brothers and said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So there's a benefit. The benefits of testing is it causes you to rise up and overcome. Understand, you're in a fight, and you recognize and go, I'm more than a conqueror. You fight the good fight of faith. Um, 
it, it's basically a confirmation you heard from God. <laughs> like I said, you'll have warfare and you'll have a lot of questions. That's a confirmation. That was a word from God. And it makes us realize our weaknesses, our inadequacies, keeps you at the throne of God, and it prepares you for even more fulfillment. The final verse is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Just grab this one, and then we're going to just do a little bit of ministry. But 1 Peter 5, 10, so important. This is why God allows the testing to come. Why would God do that? Why would God speak a really nice prophetic word and then, ah, it's like one person said, I was doing fine until I got that prophecy. Then all hell broke loose in my life. Like, yeah, that's good. Thank you, brother, for that testimony. Anybody else? It was like, yes, no, yes. Because here's what Peter said, who got great prophecies, right? Give you the keys of the kingdom. You're, you're the rock. You're, I mean, Peter had some great words, and then Satan tried to sift him like wheat, and he went through some battles. And here's what he said at the end of his first epistle, chapter 5, verse 10. Peter says, after you've suffered a little while, now you just got done talking about the devil, right? Resist the devil. After you've suffered a little while, this kingdom was built on suffering. If you think you get a pass and still get to be participating, rethink that. The end times are going to have a little dose of that here and there our brothers and sisters in Iran, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. I'm not talking about suffering. So Peter said, and Peter suffered. He suffered through the sifting of Satan. He suffered through betraying Christ. I don't know that guy. Who are you talking about? But he said, after you've suffered a while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Watch this, four key words. What's God doing in a crisis when you're going through some suffering? What's God up to? What's, what kind of grace is God getting you through? Number one, he says, he will himself. It means reflexive back on the work of Christ in you is he himself will restore. And that's the same word for equipping of the saints. It's part of your equipping of the saints. Same word for equipping the saints in Ephesians 4.12, katartismos. God's at work equipping you. He himself will equip you. Number two, he will confirm. That means make solid as a rock. He puts foundation in you. He will confirm. He will strengthen. That means literally to fill with strength. He will fill you with strength. In that crisis, you get strengthened. You come out stronger than you went in. And he will establish you. The word establish, to settle you in, to lay more foundation. It means build substructure. He will settle you. You'll come out strong, settled, firm. You'll be that person that builds their house upon the rock. And he says to him, be dominion forever. I like that. Part of the process is to create soldiers in the army. It's how we partner with God. That's how I call it power sharing with God. The prophetic is an exercise in power sharing. God chooses to share power with us, exercise dominion through us by sharing his concepts with us and his word and his destiny. He says, this is what I've called you to do. And you go, I don't bear witness to that. It's like, you don't get to share in the power. God wants to share power with his people. All right, all you power rangers, are you ready? You're sitting there going, please don't prophesy over me after that teaching. I, can I just sneak out right now with the music playing? So we'll just, we'll go a little bit. It's been a long week for all of us, but I think God wants to speak to a few people. So Jonathan, if, if you wouldn't mind, and let's just... Let's just chill for a minute. That's a lot to take in. But um, I just want to lay that into your heart so that you can be ready 
You can see fulfillment come. You can wage good warfare. Listen, those principles apply to a, a, a great teaching from Pastor Karen. <laughs> great teaching from Pastor Brian. If they, they bring a word to you. Prophecy is not just, this is personal prophecy, but the, the prophetic is way broader than a gift. It's that dimension wherein God interfaces with us. Your prayer life is prophetic. Reading your Bible in the morning, having devotions, that's prophetic. Heaven and earth communicating is the prophetic dimension. And we need to be engaged in that so that we can be equipped for what's at hand. So, Father, we thank you. I pray that every person here that's ever received a word, whether it's a prophesied word or a, a, a rhema word in their devotions in the mornings, I got that word, that's my word, a promise from God, an encouragement, principles, whatever it is, God, we want to be good stewards. Blessed are those who keep the words of the prophecies that gives us. We thank you for the blessing. This house has had decades of prophetic blessings, right? Decades. Way back before me. Way back to the David Shocks and those guys. Way back. So there's something particular about this house being good stewards of prophecy. I really believe there's still some prophecies, what I call in suspension. God's waiting for the right apostolic power to execute that readiness like we're going to do it the reason why people get frustrated about unfulfilled prophecy is there's no power to execute sometimes they got the word but like how do I do it how do I do it and that's how you build opportunities and build structures into your life that's what God's up to and then that thing lands and there's execution and it gets done just like God took 12 years to build in us the faith to actually believe him to own our first house Crazy. He just is extravagant with time. That's a nice way to put it, like he doesn't really care. God doesn't wear a watch. God's extravagant with human time. Because it doesn't mean the same thing it does to us. He's all about building Christ in you. So, Father, if you're here tonight, I want to just start with this. You've had prophetic words in your life, and they're unfulfilled. I want to just say God's working on it right now. For some of you, God's reactivating old words right now. Some of you are sitting there, by golly, I'm going to go home and listen to some of those old words. I'm going to get them out. Some of you probably might have to go to a cassette tape, for crying out loud. Right, Stephen? Just like it's on cassette tape. That shows how old. That's, that means it came before 2000. <laughs> I still have some. I have to go back every now and then. I forget. So, God, I just pray that you stir up and rekindle and stir up the gift of God that is in each and every person here. God, help us go back and revisit the word of the Lord. Just like God came to Abram a second time and brought the word of the Lord in a vision. He said, I'm not changing my mind. You're going you're to still do this, Abram. So, Father, stir the hearts of the house tonight. Thank you for joining us. We look to God that he will direct your steps and blessings through this week. For more information, visit us at bangercommunitychurch.co.uk find us on Facebook.